So tonight we're going to look at chapters 11 through 13. Um, before we do that, I, I wanted to, uh, this is a bit unorthodox, I wanted to open actually in the Gospel of Luke. So if you will, turn there with me. Uh, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. Uh, I think it's appropriate as we get closer to Easter and uh, think about those, those things, those events that, that took place. Um, it's important to remember that they come in the context of all of Scripture, but especially uh, Exodus, when we think about the Passover. Um, Luke 22, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. You know, all the Gospels will have a, uh, an episode featuring the, the Passover, the, the Passover meal where Jesus gathers with his disciples and he thinks about his crucifixion and the resurrection that's coming and where he establishes his new covenant with his people. And I think we read that and we think about the Passover and we hear those terms and maybe we, we remember that the Passover is an exodus event. We remember some of the details of it, but I think it's just so important uh, to really have in our minds, to establish in our minds as we read uh, over these next few weeks thinking about Easter. As we, as we think about that, I think it's just we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice not to think of it in its proper context, uh, which is what we'll look at more deeply tonight. Uh, in chapters 11 through 13. Um, I know Springer prayed, but let me pray too, and, and then we'll, we'll look into this. Father, we, uh, we are grateful that you have always had one plan. Your, your, all of history has, has pointed to the coming of your Son um, so that he might live and die and uh, be, be brought back to life on our behalf as our substitute. And how clearly we see this in Exodus, in particular these chapters tonight. I pray that you would encourage us by them, that you would give us hearts that are eager to, uh, to praise you and to glorify you as we meditate on the work that you did thousands of years ago to redeem your people for yourself. Um, help us to bear in mind that this is how you have redeemed us for your namesake as well. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So to recap, uh, we talked about chapters one through four two weeks ago. And when we did that, one of the, I think the conclusion that, that I tried to, to draw was that God's people are saved when the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of God's people converge in one person who in Exodus is a man named Moses, but we know Moses is pointing us to someone even greater than, than he, who is Jesus. 
So Jesus becomes the embodiment of the faithfulness of God to his people, but also of the perfect obedience and faithfulness of God's people uh, toward our Father. Uh, Jesus is the one who does that for us. And so Jesus is the one who leads us out of captivity and slavery to sin and death and the devil, and he brings us into the kingdom of of God. Chapters 5 through 10, uh, Tyler looked at last week, and um, if we have to boil it down, um, we would say that God, or it is God alone who has sovereign authority over all of creation. You remember all of these plagues that the Lord puts forward. These are a display of his might and his power over all of Egypt, over especially Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh puts himself in the place of God so that when God gives him a command through Moses, Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord? Right? And it's not that he doesn't know and is genuinely concerned that he's missed out. His question is very arrogant. Um, it's, it's the question that you might ask if you're saying, well, who's this new kid on the block? That's, that's where Pharaoh is, is approaching the Lord. But we find that God's mercy and his judgment are inscrutable. Right? We can't, they're, they're unquestionable. The Lord will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will judge whom he judges. And in the case of Pharaoh, right, uh, wickedness will not go unpunished. God's enemies will be treated as such, and his people will be redeemed. They will be vindicated um, in, in the end. Um, so now then, we, we get to chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, and the narrative of Exodus takes a, 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 a turn. It, it kind of changes up its style so that we have a lot of dialogue, we have a lot of action, things going on. But the primary purpose of this text is, is really to teach the Israelites what the Passover is, why we celebrate it, what, how, how to do this rightly, what are some wrong ways we could do this. It, it establishes some rules and customs for the people of God, especially as they enter into the promised land and will be expected to keep the Passover going forward. So it grounds a current modern event for the Israelites, the Passover. We do this every year. It grounds this event and the, the historic first reality, the first time this ever took place. This is why we do things this way now, is, is what these three chapters seek to establish. So let me give you a summary of these three chapters. The first 10 verses, actually all of chapter 11 is 10 verses. Uh, chapter 11 is the announcement that Moses gives uh, based on the model of God speaking to Moses about this final plague that is going to come upon Egypt. The plague uh, involves the death of all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And the Bible's very clear. This has no distinction between uh, a great or small, uh, rich or poor. All of the firstborn sons of Egypt are, are subject to death. This is the final plague. Chapter 12, the first 28 verses, then establishes what the Passover is for future generations. This plague is coming. And if you are found in the land of Egypt, which the Israelites are, you need to be ready. You need, there needs to be a, a, a means of escaping the wrath to come. And so the Lord provides a way out. He provides an escape for them through the Passover uh, meal, which they established the Passover sacrifice. 
which, which this passage talks about. Then picking up in verse 29 of chapter 12, going all the way through chapter 40, or through verse 42, we see the, uh, the Israelites get summarily dismissed from Egypt. The plague uh, happens, people die, Pharaoh is very upset, and he sends Moses out, which is a little ironic because in the previous chapter, uh, Pharaoh tells Moses in chapter 10, don't you ever talk to me again. I don't ever want to see you again. If you do, you're going to die. And then, and then Pharaoh summons Moses to him in the end. Uh, he, needs, he needs to talk to Moses, it turns out. And, and he sends Moses out uh, with the, the Israelites, and they, they plunder the Egyptians, take all their jewelry, and uh, start to pack their bags to hit the road. Um, then, 43 through 51, the very end of chapter 12, we see a few more rules established for the Passover. And these rules in particular examine the role of foreigners and sojourners within the people of Israel, um, which is really interesting. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. But the Lord makes a provision for people who are not Israelites by birth to be grafted into the people of God and to be incorporated into this practice of the Passover. And then chapter 13, and we're going to go all the way through verse 16, but next week Tyler will pick up in verse 17. I don't know if you know that, TK, but you are. Um, so the first 16 verses of chapter 13 establish another element to this Passover meal. It, it reminds the Israelites again, if it wasn't clear enough, how this works, what we do. Uh, but it also establishes how, how, to, how to explain this to your children. Um, and, and not only that, it establishes a very important element to this whole, this whole episode in Exodus, uh, which is the nature of of God's relationship to the firstborn sons of, of Israel. And not just the firstborn sons, but the firstborn of any creature in Israel. The Lord stakes his claim. The, the idea of the firstborn is a really important theme throughout these three chapters and, and throughout the whole Bible, right? But, but especially here, it, it's a repetitive idea uh, the firstborn. So uh, that's, that's a summary of these three chapters. And, and I imagine the Passover is probably familiar enough to you where, where you maybe don't need much more explanation than that. But let's look at some of the themes, maybe some major points then from, this, from these, three, these three chapters. Um, the Passover, it reorients all of Israel's history Maybe you read, you read about it, and you, maybe you saw the Prince of Egypt animated movie, uh, you know, and, and so you're familiar with, oh, yeah, the Passover. No, I know how that goes, you know. Uh, but we don't really think about the fact that this is a cataclysmic event. It is, it, is the, it is the establishment of God's people, Israel. It's, it's, like, it's, like, the, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's their Thanksgiving, but that, that kind of cheapens it. It's not that. I mean, this is, this is major. The God of the universe steps into time and, and, and history and space, and he, he rescues them. He redeems them. This is a theme of the entire Bible, all right? That God redeems and saves his people. Um, it should come as no surprise to us that this becomes the, the, the I mean, day zero of, of Israelite history. This is, this is where it all starts. Uh, we, we see this idea uh, because in, in chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord makes very clear that, that this Passover will mark the beginning of months. 
In other words, here is January 1st for you. This is, this is the most important thing. Everything else comes after this. Um, he, he reiterates that actually a couple of times. Again, in chapter 13, verse 4, he mentions this. But not only does it establish the Jewish calendar, the, the Israelite calendar, it establish, the, the Lord describes this day as a, as a memorial day. Not Memorial Day. Uh, not hot dogs, as they couldn't eat hot dogs anyway. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a day for remembrance. It's a day for, for solemn uh, thinking about meditation upon the work of God uh, on behalf of his people. And so if you look at chapter 12, verse 14, uh, the Lord says that this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Um, this, this becomes then not just some ritual that they do to get out of Egypt, to avoid this final plague, um, but it, it becomes a pattern, a pattern of remembrance. It, it involves a few things. The, the, the feast of unleavened bread, if you've heard of that, this is where, this, that's what this is grounded in. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we will talk uh, about this, all the, the, the details of, of the Passover, but unleavened bread is a really important part of it. And at going forward, the Israelites will then observe this festival, this week, where they eat unleavened bread, as uh, the name would imply. And so they, they will do that for seven days, and on the first day of that week, they have a holy, solemn assembly to the Lord. And on the last day of that week, they have a holy assembly to the Lord. So this isn't just some day, this isn't just a way to get out of work, this is a major week-long event uh, in, in the history of, of the people of Israel. It's for instruction, it's for reminder, and especially for children. And I, I, I love that, I love these little these details, and it's, it's not a detail, I mean, it's a major thing, this is a major point of, of having this celebration, this feast. So if you look at chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, uh, the, when the Lord says to, to Moses, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Daddy, what are we doing? What is this? We don't normally eat this kind of bread, we don't normally cook our lamb this way, what are bitter herbs, why are we doing this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And then if you look at chapter uh, 13, verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And I love that language. It's because of what the Lord did for me when we came up out of Egypt, when I came out of Egypt. This isn't the point of the whole passage. Well, you know what? It kind of is the point of the whole passage. This idea of, of commemorating the work of the Lord and not just of remembering it personally, you know, quietly in, in the solitude and comfort of your own mind, in your own closet, wherever you you think about this. It's a, it's a public remembering. With, with, it's, it's something that, that is meant to be seen and especially seen by children. 
you know? I mean, we read in the New Testament, we read about Jesus, let the, let the little children come to me, right? And uh, the disciples are all indignant because Jesus is so important in their minds that he would surely have nothing to do with children. Why are you wasting your time? Um, we think about Jesus maybe letting little children sit on his knee, but do you ever think about the fact that, I mean, this is, this is God's MO from the very beginning of time is that he, he wants to instruct the children of the covenant, right, in the ways of the Lord. He wants them to know who he is. He wants them to know the kind of God that he is. He wants them to know the things that he's done and not just the things that he's done in an abstract sense, you know, uh, well, yes, son, this is, you know, the doctrine of such and such, or this is, you know, God is like X, Y, and Z, and Wayne Grudem told me all these attributes of God, and that's how we know. Uh, the Lord wants the children of Israel and uh, all of the children of God's people um, to, to know specifically what the Lord has done for them. Uh, that's why I love the language of chapter 13, verse 8, you know, let me tell you what the Lord did for me is what these fathers are supposed to say to their children when they ask. Um, and I, I think, if nothing else, if you walk away with nothing else, just, you know, just carry that reminder in your head, um, especially if you're a parent. But even if, even if your, your kids are grown and out the door or, or you, you don't have any children, thinking about the children in our church who will, will see you and will know your testimony and will see your life lived out in front of them. What a beautiful what a beautiful reminder this is of the Lord's desire that, that our lives should be such where children would say, why are you doing this? What's happening? Why, what are we celebrating? And you can tell them, well, this is what the Lord did for me. You know, thinking about even just sharing your testimony with, with kids in children's ministry, if, you, if that's where you serve on Sundays. I mean, that's a, that's a, beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. It's more than I wanted to talk about. But I, man, that, just, just hearing that and thinking about that and being reminded that the Lord wants children to meditate on the, the great works that he's done, especially for people that they know. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's an encouraging thought to me. Um, this whole day, all of Passover is meant as instruction and reminder, not just for kids, but, but for all of Israel, for all the years to come. It's a night of watching, chapter 12 Verse 42 describes it that way, because the Lord was watching his people, and so the people of Israel then, they want to be mindful of and, and watch for uh, the salvation of their God. It's a, uh, it's a memorial day, it's the beginning of the year, it's also a, it's a tangible reminder of God's salvation. And, and much in the same way that we would celebrate the Lord's Supper or, or uh, participate in baptism, this is a, it's a physical fleshy reminder of these truths that so often can, can, can seem kind of out there or, or just kind of in our heads. Uh, but, but the Lord gives his people something tangible to grab a hold of, to remember all that he's done. Uh, he, he requires them to, to bring a lamb without spot, without blemish, a, a perfect lamb, a year old, a, a male lamb that they're, gonna, they're supposed to slaughter on the 14th day of this first month of the year. Uh, this, is, this is how the first Passover goes, and this is how all subsequent Passovers are supposed to go. Um, they, they slaughter this lamb. Um, then they, they, they gather, they, they get its blood in, in a, a branch of some sort, a hyssop branch, and they, they smear it all over the doors, all over the door frame of their house. 
is, is the way that the Lord will see and know that there are Israelites dwelling in this place. These are my people, my covenant people. I, I will pass over this house. I will not destroy anyone in this house. This is the, the way that the, the Passover uh, worked in the first time it was ever observed. And then in all subsequent years, it's a reminder of the way the Lord saves. Um, the, the lamb was, was killed, sacrificed, the blood smeared on the door. But the lamb itself was considered a meal. And so the, the Israelites would roast this animal whole. They, they wouldn't divvy it up. They didn't have time because they're trying to get out of Dodge. So they, they cook this thing whole over the fire, and they eat it with unleavened bread. And, and the significance of that, similarly, is, is that you don't have time to wait around for bread, for dough to leaven out, to, to rise. You're not waiting on that. We're just going to have some crackers, and we're going to go. Because we can't, we're, 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 about, to be, we're about to be rescued. Uh, we're not looking back. We're not waiting. We don't love it here. We want to. We want to leave. And uh, and so this lamb then serves as a substitute for all the firstborn males in Israel. Um, and and I, I, I guess this bears saying, you know, when this plague comes, the Israelites too will be destroyed unless they observe the Passover. Unless they actually do this. And we often think about this as just, it's just a, it's an event that's, that's distinct from the actual reality of this plague. Well, the Lord thought it would be cool to, to kind of give them this visual aid for what he's doing for them, that he's not going to touch them. No, he says, you, you need to do this. Because unless you do this, right, the, the destruction that I'm about to rain down on this land will come into your home as well. Uh, to be my people, you need to obey my commands. You need to observe all that I've taught you and and to be in my covenant means you you follow me you're holy you're set apart like I am and this is how you will go about that Uh, so this is this is not just a ritual Uh, this is a very real life or death uh, matter so they they smear the blood the the lamb then is 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 the the blood that they don't have to shed themselves um, the, the lamb becomes then their stand-in, their fill-in uh, for the, 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 the death that's about to come upon them. Um, and this is a reminder of a few things, right? You know, when we talk about the, the plague of the firstborn, a lot of times we, we maybe think about it in distinction from everything else that's taken place. But do you remember how Pharaoh got this whole thing started? His, his, first, his first mission, his first goal uh, for his, his program with the Israelites was to destroy not just the firstborn males, but all the males in Israel. This, was, this, was, this, is, this is how Pharaoh got things going. Uh, and, and the Lord is now acting in a way that is perfectly uh, perfor- proportional. Actually, it's kind of merciful if you think about it, uh, because he's just taking the firstborn males. And he lets them know that he's about to do it, um, unless they repent. And so... Um, Pharaoh has set this expectation then. All the firstborn males are destroyed in Egypt. Um, they, this is, this is, Moses tells them this will happen, and then it, it actually does happen. Um, but, uh, like we've been saying as well, the Lord has a claim not just to the Egyptian firstborns, but to the Israelite firstborns as well. The Israelites aren't exempt just because God 
is, is he just can't help himself. They're just so they're just so great of a people. They're so perfect. They're so mighty. They're so charismatic. Uh, if you if you look at Exodus thirteen verse one and two, the Lord said to Moses, "Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man, both of man and of beast, is mine." The Lord is staking his claim. Now, the firstborn is an important, is an important figure in, in ancient Israel, uh, for sure. Uh, the, the, the firstborn, if you think about like Jacob and Esau, um, for instance. Firstborn gets certain rights and privileges. The firstborn is like the, the first fruit of the crop. He is, he is the first of everything. And he receives the bounty of, of whatever his father's inheritance might be. So for the Lord to, stake a, to have a claim on the firstborn is to say, I, I am worthy of the best. Even of your own children. It's, it, I'm, I am the one who should receive the glory for them. I'm the one who should be uh, the, the, the ruler and, and authority over their lives, over this entire people. The Lord's not just making a claim over firstborn sons. He's making a claim over all of Israel. The best that you have came from me, belongs to me. Uh, it should be, should be uh, received and understood in that context, uh, not as your own, but as, as mine. And so the Lord has a claim even over the people of Israel, but, but he makes a way out because if they're going to devote their sons to the Lord, uh, well, the Lord, he doesn't want them to actually kill their sons like they're about to kill the sheep. He instead provides them a way out where their sons will be substituted uh, or replaced, if you will, by future sacrifices, future sheep. So the, the Passover is it's not just an event that, that where the Lord uh, shows favoritism to Israel and wipes out those mean Egyptians. No, the Lord establishes um, his, his character. He establishes the nature of his relationship with, with his people, with all people. Um, but the beauty is that, that, that through the Passover, the Israelites and any who fall into this covenant relationship with the Israelites' God, he provides a way out, a way of redemption, um, a way of rescue and salvation. The Lord is, is merciful um, to them as well. So, the Passover reminds us then of, of, these, of these two things. It reminds us of God's judgment for sin, of which the Israelites, just as well as the Egyptians, are guilty. And it reminds us of God's mercy toward sinners. Uh, God's judgment is, ex- is, is exercised here against Egypt, the whole, the whole nation, the whole people, uh, if you look at 11, verses 4 through 6, um, it says, uh, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. This is, this is God's judgment against Egypt for, for its own wickedness against the people of God. 
Um, it's also God's judgment against Egypt's gods, or so-called gods. If you look at chapter 12, verse 12, um, the Lord says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The Lord is establishing for the Egyptians and for the Israelites exactly who he is. I, I judge the nations. I judge the gods of the nations. It is my standard and no other that counts. Is my glory uh, and, and no other that matters. And I, I will be vindicated and I'll be glorified in the earth. I'll be glorified among my people. I'll be glorified even among the nations. But God's judgment isn't just, isn't just national. It's, it's, it's not just supernatural. Uh, it, it is very personal as well. Uh, the Lord's judgment is for Pharaoh himself. Um, if you look at chapter 13, verse 15, um, the Lord says, or when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, <clears throat> this is what the Lord would have them say to their children, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. This is, this is also very deeply personal. Pharaoh has set himself up in the place of God, and the Lord is determining to put him in his place, uh, which is not as close to God Almighty as Pharaoh tends to think. And so the Lord, he brings his judgment to, to all of the land. But the Lord also shows his mercy. He brings salvation from his wrath, specifically to the Israelites. He provides them a covering through this sacrifice, through this lamb. As they, as they participate in this Passover, as they sacrifice this lamb and put the, door on the, put the blood on their door, the Lord will pass over. He will uh, show, them, show them mercy. He, he then rescues them from captivity. It's not just that he, he spares them from certain death and destruction, but, but through this final plague, the people of Israel are sent out. Pharaoh has had enough. And he, he sends them forth. He forces them out of the land. But one thing I love about this is that even here we get a glimpse of the Lord's heart and desire that the nations, uh, that even those outside of ethnic Israel would be grafted into and among his people. Um, when, the, when the Israelites leave, uh, if, you, if you look at chapter 12, verse 38, it says a mixed multitude went up with them. And that may not be very clear as to what exactly is the mixed multitude, but we've just been talking about the Israelites and how so many of them, men, women, and children, have left with the Exodus. They're, they're going out, and then God's word reminds us that a mixed multitude also went up with them. And I think one of the implications of this is that it's not just the Israelites who are leaving, but it, it could very well be other uh, foreign peoples who for whatever reason or other are finding themselves attached to the Israelites, they get up and leave too. 
And it becomes a big deal because in, in, at the end of chapter 12 and verses 48 and 49, the Lord gives very specific instructions. Right here, right now, he feels the need to establish for them how this is going to go. And he says, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. You see, the Lord provides a means, a mechanism for people who are not ethnic Israel, for people who are not the descendants of Abraham to be brought into the fold. Right here, in this foundational event that establishes the people of God as a free nation, the Lord reminds them, and Moses wants to establish for them, that, that this covenant that the Lord has with us is not just only for us, but is actually meant for the nations. That we are to be a blessing to the nations. This is part of God's promise to Abraham, that through the him, the nations will be blessed. And, and likewise, then through Israel, we see the nations with a means of being grafted in. Now, yeah, they got to be circumcised, and that's a price. But, but it's, it's, the, it's the way that they show their faithfulness to the Lord. It's not a work that they do something to earn God's favor. If you're the people of God, you abide by the standards of God's people. This is the sign of the covenant, and so then you can be a part of God's people as well. So God's Passover shows God's judgment, and it shows God's mercy. And I guess the final point then is that all of this, wouldn't you know, is fulfilled in Jesus. It's fulfilled in Christ. He is the firstborn. He's the firstborn. Of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. This is what Colossians 1 15 through 18 says that he is, well, I'm not going to turn there. He, he, you can see on the screen, he is preeminent in all creation. He is God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And as we read about the firstborn, the firstborn, the destruction of the firstborn, the redemption of Israel's firstborn sons, we are naturally reminded of the fact that the Lord did not spare his son, but that actually for the redemption of true Israel, his church, he, he sacrificed his son. And it was through the sacrifice of his son that his people found a covering, that his people found a way for their sinful, broken, fallen sons and daughters to be redeemed and, and reconciled to God. Jesus is the, the firstborn. He's the true firstborn. He is also, and this is maybe mo more prominent, he is the Passover lamb. He's the Passover lamb. All the gospels mention the Passover meal just before Jesus's crucifixion. And it is historic fact, so there's that reason. Um, but, but I think it's also very uh, important as far as establishing what it is that Christ is about to do. His crucifixion at the time of the Passover reminds us that he is the sacrifice once and for all that brings his people out of bondage and carries them into the promised land. Jesus is that 
that Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul is explaining to the people of Corinth why they should no longer live in sin, why they should leaven out, get rid of all the leaven. And he justifies it by saying, you want to throw it up there on the screen, Josiah? He justifies it by saying, our Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Right? And then and Paul is just so clear. He uses this exact word, this exact phrase, that Christ is the Passover lamb. Um, first, uh, John 1, 29, he says, uh, well, John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, uh, for the first time, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And John's not just referring to Jesus being meek or mild or something. He, he's making a direct reference to this idea that Jesus is the sacrifice for God's people. All of the book of Revelation, if you haven't read that in a while, um, you'll notice that one of the major images of Jesus that we see again and again is that he is the lamb, the chosen, spotless, unblemished, perfect lamb uh, that the Lord provides as, as Israel's savior, the savior of the people of God. So Jesus then, he is the pinnacle of history, just like the Passover it reorients all of Israel around this one event Jesus, he, he is for us the same thing. In fact, he is he's greater. He is more than that because we celebrate Christ and we, 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 we commemorate the death and resurrection of Christ not just once a year, but every day we proclaim him. He, he is the dividing line in history, <laughs> literally. Because what, what took place at the cross and, and the sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of his people is, is this kind of before and after event. Everything has been building up to that. Everything afterward points back to that event. But not only that, Jesus reminds us of God's wrath and of God's mercy, of God's justice and God's mercy, his salvation, because he bore God's wrath on our behalf. Second um, Corinthians five twenty one. Says this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And 1 John 2, 2 calls Jesus the propitiation, the, the wrath-absorbing, favor-inducing sacrifice for sin. He converts our relationship with God from one of enmity to one of friendship, uh, of the deepest kind, the, the bond of a father and his children. Um, this is what Jesus has done. He is our salvation. He is the, the way that we find our exodus, right? Our, our redemption and salvation from, from the bondage of sin and death. First Peter 1, and I'll close with this. It says that you were ransomed from the futile ways, in verse 18, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but 
with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So then all of the Bible, but, but especially Exodus, it, it reminds us, it points us to the final, full revelation of God's salvation in Jesus alone. And as the Israelites sacrificed their lambs and ate their Passover meal, though they, they maybe didn't know the name Jesus, they were putting their hope in the exact same person of Christ, the full Passover lamb, the firstborn of all creation, who provides for them redemption. And he provides redemption for us too. Which is why then Exodus is such a beautiful picture of, not just of God's salvation, but of the gospel. This is how the Lord has always saved his people. Uh, and, and then we, we are called likewise to, to turn and trust in him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, for your word. We, 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 just, we, we bask in the glory of your greatness that you have always superintended the events of this world, the events of the, the life of your people for your purposes. The gospel wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a plan B. The gospel has always and only ever been the means by which your people find salvation. And just as with the Passover, we are reminded of your justice and of your mercy. We think of Jesus, where your justice and your mercy meet at one place and at one point in time, where your wrath against sinners, against our own sin, was, was fully meted out on the person of your Son. And in doing so, you extended to us mercy. So that though, though we were subject to the wrath to come, though judgment day should have been coming for us like it did for the Egyptians, like it did for Pharaoh. You gave us a way out. You passed over us, not arbitrarily, but because the sacrifice had been made. Because the blood of your son paid the price in full. So we thank you for that. And we pray that this reminder of your grace toward us would, um, that, we, that we wouldn't just quickly forget it and, and move on, but that we would meditate on this. All, all of these next few weeks, especially as we prepare for Easter, as we think about all that your son's death and resurrection mean for us, help us to, to delight in your love for us. Help us to cling to Jesus like, like our only hope, for that is what he is. And we ask it in, in the name of Jesus. Amen.